Do you ever consider the ethics of fundraising for your camp? This is Fundraising at Camp by Go Camp Pro. True Camp Mavericks know that money moves the mission, and we're here to keep your mission moving. You can find our show notes at gocamp.pro slash FAC. This Go Camp Pro podcast is brought to you by Camp Brain. Camp Brain not only coordinates your summer camp management needs, but also your conference center bookings and fundraising management, allowing you to use one database to run your camp year-round. Since 1994, Camp Brain has been innovating and constantly adding new features while being backed by a team of 50 passionate and caring staff members. For more information, visit them at campbrain.com F-A-C. We here at Go Camp Pro are grateful to the folks at ACA Illinois for their support of our podcasts. The American Camp Association of Illinois is made up of nearly 289,000 members, volunteers, campers, families, and professionals who believe in the power of camp. ACA Illinois works to disrupt the effects of poverty by providing fundamental services for children and families and learning opportunities for camp professionals. Learn more about ACA Illinois by visiting acail.org. Hello, Camp Mavericks, and welcome to the Fundraising at Camp podcast brought to you by Go Camp Pro, the ACA of Illinois, and Camp Brain. Hello, Heather, how are you? I'm excellent, Travis. How are you? Good, good, good. Happy to be spending the afternoon with you. Joe will not be joining us today. He's getting ready for a conference coming in at their facility. So Heather and I thought then, since Joe's not here, let's talk about ethics. But I encourage you not to read too much into that. Um, Heather, you proposed this topic. What were you thinking about when you said we should really spend a minute and talk about ethics? You know, we could spend lots of minutes talking about ethics in fundraising. Uh, People have written really, really large, really boring books on it. I recommend if you ever suffer from insomnia to pick one up. But let's hit the high points because there are really some sticky widgets when it comes to ethical fundraising. Some things you may not think about and some things you may think about and think, "Eh, well, but we really need the money. Please, please don't go down that rabbit hole. It's not worth it. (laughs) nothing good comes out of, well, we really need the money. Right. Yeah. 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 What sort of stuff are you thinking as just a broad overview of it? Well, we want to talk about communicating with our donors, managing their expectations, and making sure that what we're doing matches our mission. Whether your mission is to make sure that no child goes without toilet paper or that, you know, every kid has a chance to go to summer camp or you are reaching out to a specific subset of the population, you don't want to take any money that's outside your mission. For example, we were approached a couple of years ago about sponsoring a cross-country running camp. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be, this is not exactly fundraising, but it was going to be a lucrative group for us. However, we were going to have to move um, one of our longtime programs out into another week of camp. One of our programs that was extremely mission rich had been with us for a long time, but represented a small amount of revenue. And we struggled with it. But in the end, we managed to stay with our group that was in our mission. And I think that that uh, that worked out for the best. So sort of a related thing, not exactly fundraising, but, you know, we're all worried about the bottom line and certainly that affected it. 
Yeah, and when you can compare the mission of uh, the fundraising project, or, I mean, the, the focus of the fundraising project to your mission or, or even the style of fundraising to your mission, that helps you make good ethical decisions. Right. Some things that I think we should think about. I've sort of got a top seven list Great, here. Please. We talked about being mission rich. You know, another example, if you have no interest in ever adding horses to your program, it's not something you want to do, but a donor comes up and says, hey, I'll give you $10 million to start a horseback riding program. Yeah. Well, your choices then are to go to your board and talk about, you know, maybe doing horseback riding or saying, you know what? I love, I love the commitment, would love to talk to you about that gift. Can we talk about other uses? Because we're not prepared to add horses. Right. And which leads me to point two about honest communication with your donors. You want to be very honest about what you need the money for, how you're going to use it, and how you're going to tell them about it. That whole ask, thank, report, repeat process that we've been talking about through this whole podcast You want to include that and be absolutely as honest as you possibly can with your donors. You know, we all know when somebody's not telling us the whole truth, and that is not the way that you want to build relationships with your donors. Do you mind if I ask a question about that one in particular, Mm -hmm. Heather, or do you want me to save my questions till you get your seven points? Okay, that's good, because I will take less notes if I don't have to remember seven points in my questions (laughs) about each one. So the, oh, I know what it was. It was thinking about, open and honest communication, a big part of what we talked about is the in the reporting stage is telling the stories of the effects of donations. Now, if it's a new project, you don't have stories about that project to tell. Is there a way to tell stories to illustrate how we as an organization follow through on missions like these? Is right. that acceptable? Yeah. And you can also share your vision. Mm, if you're okay. starting something new, Talk about how it's going to be used. You know, sort of when you think about a construction project and a watch this space for future development, that's what we're talking to our donors about. You know, if we're building a new dining hall, we want to paint the picture of why we need a new one, you know, because once you're seated, you can't get up. (laughs) If you want more food, tough luck. If you need to pee, you're just going to have to wet your pants because there's no room to get up from the table. Yeah. You know, or we're turning kids away. We have beds, but we don't have dining space. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk to them about the problem, but you also want to paint the solution right. and, and cast that vision to say, you know, with a new dining hall, we can serve 150 more campers a week or whatever that number is. You know, we can be more intentional about serving kids with different dietary needs. You know, we can have more space for donors like you to join us for a meal at camp. You know, those sorts of things that you want to paint that picture of why it's important and you're casting that vision. Right. Just because we deal with kids and sometimes telling the stories about particular kids can be not not well advised. Is it okay to kind of amalgamate stories into one story that you're using examples from lots of different kids to, to tell one story? As long as you're careful about how you say it. Okay. And this goes back to that honest communication thing. Sure. You know, much like when you see an ad for a prescription drug and the doctor comes on and on the bottom of the screen, you say, see, not an actual doctor. doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, you know, we had such a great summer. We couldn't pick just one story. These are excerpts from a few stories 
told in the first person so that you can have a clear picture of how your money matched our ministry. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Excellent. What's the next point? Donor intent. Um, It's sort of, we talked about this again when we talked about gift acceptance, but if the intent of a donor is not something you can meet, let's say they want to give a bench in honor of their mother and they want to put it in the middle of your kickball field and that's the only place they want it. You can't accept that gift because you can't fulfill the donor's intent. So let's talk about that a little deeper. Yeah. Um, because when I got into the position I'm in now, I had lots of historic gifts that were sort of sitting in account waiting to be used. Yeah. We have a 200 plus year old chapel and I have $2,000 in account that says chapel windows. I can't do anything with that money unless I can track down who gave the gift and what they really wanted it for. That's an example of a gift we shouldn't have taken because we had no intention of doing anything with the chapel windows. Right. So now that money just sits there because I don't know who gave it. I don't know what their intent was. On the flip side, let's say that my, you know, somebody's grandmother gave that money and I knew their family, that person had passed. It is perfectly acceptable to go to the living relatives or the heirs of that person and say, we have this $2,000 gift. It was labeled chapel windows. I don't really know what the intent was. Here are some things we could do with that money. Do any of these appeal to you? Are you okay with me reallocating those dollars? Right. That is 100% ethical and something that you can absolutely do. Yeah. During the pandemic, we had several people who had money in those accounts come to me and say, look, we really think you need this money for operations. Please take it and use it for that. And my response was twofold. Number one, thank you so much. We really do need it for operations. And would you please send that to me in an email or letter form so I have a paper trail? Yeah. Yeah. If you had, let's say, $20,000 for chapel windows that you couldn't make any you know, connection to, to double check and see or you know, to do what you just said, do you think it's proper for the organization to invest that money and use the investment on something else. So $2,000, you're not going to make much investment in a year, but Mm -hmm. if you had $20,000, you're starting to make a little bit of money on that in a year. Does that, does that suit the ethical intent of, of what you're doing? It does. You could certainly do that. And then you would have options. You know, you could use the interest and keep building it up until you had enough money to you know, re- redo the leaded glass in the stained glass chapel windows or right. you know, have them professionally cleaned or whatever. I would always go through my board or my finance committee or sure. my development committee to make those decisions. I wouldn't make them in a vacuum. Yeah, potentially, yes, but you just have to make sure you write it up so right. it's understood how. Okay, yeah, that's great. I understand. So the next point is to report clearly and include the costs, what it costs you to raise the money. Mm. There there are very few free dollars. And you you can choose whether you want those to be direct costs or indirect costs. I report, when I'm reporting fundraising costs, I report direct costs. So I wouldn't include, for example, my salary, because I do lots of other things. And trying to put a percentage on that 
is not necessarily an accurate exercise. But I would include costs for printing and copying, mailing, mileage, costs to take a donor to, to lunch or to coffee or whatever. So in our annual report, it will say, for example, we raised $350,000. And the direct cost it took us to raise that is $17,500. Yeah. Whatever. Yep. But being really clear about what you're doing with the money, and that includes what it costs, what it costs to raise the money. Next one goes back sort of to donor intent and your donor, how they want to be recognized. Yeah. If a donor says that they want anonymity, you must honor that. Yes. It's a major ethical violation not to. Mm -hmm. By the same token, if you have donors who say, you know, my wife and I want to be recognized as a giving unit, Mm -hmm. but we have different last names, then you should list them together. As they're asking, you should keep track of that in your donor database or on your three by five cards or wherever your tracking comes in between. Um, But honoring the way the donor wants to be recognized is very important, both ethically and from a donor cultivation standpoint. Yeah. And you shouldn't do anything that's endangers the anonymity of a donor. Right. For example, if you have a staff donor who wants to be anonymous you should not list anonymous donor and then put an asterisk by it that says staff member. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've seen that lots of times yeah. or board member or whatever. You should simply list the number of anonymous donors. You also shouldn't list the anonymous donors alphabetically with the other donors where they would fall if they weren't anonymous. <laughs> I've seen that too. And that's yeah, a really yeah. bad idea. <laughs> so if Travis and Beth Allison want to be anonymous, yeah. I wouldn't put, you know, the Albrights and then an asterisk that says anonymous and then, you know, the Aloysius family next. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do anything that's going to jeopardize that anonymity. Right. And that includes who you talk to about your donors. Of course, you should play that very close to the vest. You should not, you should almost look at it the same way you would look at HIPAA or keeping health information private. You don't go around, even within your own office, a need to know basis. You know, you don't want to be sharing that sort of information fast and loose. You want to keep it very, very close to you and, and very well protected. Yeah. What else do you think is important ethical stuff that we should? Well, I've got a couple other ones. One that's easy and one that's not easy for camp. Okay. So the easy one is if you should ever find yourself in a position to work for a company as a fundraiser Mm. um, or as a contracted employee that does fundraising or whatever, you should never, ever, ever have your salary, or if you're hiring a fundraiser, their salary be a percentage of what is raised. That's an, In the fundraising world, that's an extreme ethical violation. You always want to have an agreed upon amount. And if you say, well, what about performance bases, that kind of, you know, fine, but those can't be based on numbers raised. Right. It would have to be based on something like amount of new donors brought in or, you know, amount of gift intents or pledges or that kind of thing. Um, It cannot be a numerical system of bonuses or pay. Even if you don't think you're ever going to work as a fundraiser, you may hire one someday. If anyone says they want to take a percentage, 
run away. That is great to know. (laughs) The last one is can be a little sticky for camps. um, And it's about pass throughs. Here's the example. Grandpa Charlie calls and says, hey, I want to give to your campership fund. Great, Grandpa Charlie. We would love to have that gift. Yeah. And I want it used for my grandson to come to camp. Right. That's where we have a problem. Yeah, yeah. That's where you hear the needle slip off the record in your head and you say, (laughs) oh, no, we can't do that. Right. And it gets sticky because you can certainly say something like, you know, we've never turned away a camper for financial reasons. And I'm sure if your grandson needs a scholarship that we'll be able to provide that. And he comes back with, well, he doesn't really need it, but I want to pay it because I can give it, give him camp as a gift for Christmas, and then I can get the tax write-off. Right. And it's hard because you don't want to tick off Grandpa Charlie, right? Sure. Yeah. Especially because this is probably not the biggest gift he can make. Right. You absolutely cannot do that. In no way can a donor give with a restriction that benefits someone else directly, especially a family member. That mother family. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a hard one for camps. Yeah. It really is. But especially this time of year, uh, you know, we're recording this in November, but in December, end of the year, when people are looking for giving and tax write-offs, they might think, and they might think perfectly innocently, Mm. you know, I could give to camp and then I can make sure, you know, that my grandson gets a scholarship and then he gets to come to camp free and I get the tax write off. Yeah. Pass-throughs are not your friend. Sure. And, you know, keep your guard up on about that because it can happen really quickly. And then you can be left holding a a bag of snakes that you didn't order um, and Amazon will not take them back. (laughs) <laughs> so you need to think really carefully, you know, make sure you get all the way to the end of the donor's story and their intent before you say yes or no. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Well, that's really great. Great advice. I want to give you money. Yes. No. Wait and hear what the intent is and what they want to do with it. Yeah. And in fact, if you only get one thing from today's podcast, get that. Get clear to the end of the story before you make any decisions, and that will help you avoid these ethical pitfalls. <laughs> avoid the bag of snakes. Yes. No one wants an unreturnable bag of snakes. You really don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you can do this off the top of your head, Heather, or even sort of genericize this enough to make it work, but are there ethical situations that you've heard of or seen that was a hard decision that that meant the organization had to turn down money? Yes. Okay. A couple of them. Uh, At a previous camp where I worked, we had a donor come and want to give $10,000, which is a, a lovely, nice, it was a major gift for that camp, but he wanted the main lodge renamed after his father. Right. And we said, thank you so much. The lodge has already been named after somebody Hmm. and saying without saying that's not a big enough gift to name a building. Yeah. And in the end, the camp didn't get the money because they weren't able to meet the donor's intent in a way that satisfied the donor. And unfortunately, that donor wasn't willing to, to budge on the purpose of the gift. Right. Another time we had 
and again, a different camp. And keep in mind that most of my experience is in church camp. Mm. A donor come and want to give us a hundred thousand dollars, but only if we take down all the crosses on camp, <laughs> in an effort to be more <laughs> welcoming to everybody. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. And you know, refer back to mission. Uh, of right. course, we said no to that, and and we lost that gift, and it was that was painful. That was yeah, a lot of money for that camp, uh, but and that's why you always have to have the mission in mind. Right. And, you know, the last thing that you want to do in that scenario is take the money, you know, take down the crosses, take the money, and then put the crosses back up. Right. Because totally. In yeah. the next episode, then we can talk about lawsuits. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, that's in a lot of ways, it's familiar to. I've also worked in faith based organizations, some of whom it was the national policy that they don't accept money from gambling. So, lottery money in different states and provinces have, you know, statewide lotteries that that money becomes funding for programs. And I have been in meetings where a board member said, the national organization won't know. If we take this grant, in this case, not a fundraiser, but if we take this grant from a, a lottery organization, it's like, well, what are we trying to teach kids if, we, if we're teaching them that when it comes to the hard choices, we go with the, uh, the wrong choice when it's, when it's hard to, to do those things? Yeah, we have to stick yeah. to our mission in lots of ways. Well, and know where you are personally with those yep. things. Yep. You know, have your own ethical ducks in a row. Sure. That'll help when you get in these. And, you know, again, reach out to the people that work with you. You know, your board is there for some of these sticky things. And make sure you have a couple people on your board that you can go to and say, you know, here's what I think I'm going to do. Does this track? Does this pass the smell test for you? Right. Right. Yeah. And, And, you know, Heather, I think one of the places where I've seen this happen most often is with gifts in kind where it's a donor we're thinking this could be a big donor in the future or an organization thinking this could be a big donor in the future or you know this person has hinted that they're working on redoing their will and including us in that and then you end up with i don't know 50 things that are are no use that are just going to go in storage in hopes that this is the case or um (laughs) taking 50 useless things that just are going to go in a dumpster um sooner or later in order to get a bigger thing. And, and that's, you know, is it worth us for this bigger promise? Is that promise a real promise? Is it worth, you know, taking stuff? I mean, I've certainly in situations turned down gifts in kind, thinking that it could be a bigger donor, but just knowing that the gift in kind was not going to get used for the mission, that it was just basically helping them clean out their basement of something. One time, even it was cash registers. It was like, no, I don't. Do you want these for your tuck shop and these other things? It's like, we're not going to use that for that. I apologize. <laughs> we once took a gift of a single wide trailer that I'm pretty sure had been used as the basis for Breaking Bad's RV. Sure. There you go. So it's some important things to be thinking about when you're thinking about the ethics of running a summer camp fundraising system, creating the system, working on this throughout. Anything else you wanted to add as a wrap-up to that thought on on ethics, Heather? No is a fine answer. Just the last thing I'd say is make sure that when you're talking to a donor and they're getting ready to give a gift or you're in that process, that that donor is of sound mind and not under any sort of duress 
Sure. Especially as you start dealing with older donors and you start mm-hmm. thinking about planned giving and that sort of thing, it's always a good idea to have a second person in the room. Right. And you never want to do anything that's in any way manipulative or suggestive to a donor. That's such a great idea because even the family may be upset by that person's choice. If you and may, f- you never want them to feel like you manipulated that person into it. But if you have someone there to back you up, that makes so much sense. That's a great, great note to end this on. Thank you. So then I want to take just a second and talk about our advertisers and supporters. I want to thank Camp Brain for their support of the Fundraising at Camp podcast. Camp Brain's fundraising module makes giving simple for you. You can quickly set up and add user-friendly donation pages to your website to make giving as easy as possible. So in some ways, some of Camp Brain's features can duplicate some of the other easy online donation tools that some of us use and just allow you to eliminate one place where information is going and make that part of your job simpler. In one of the net promoter score uh, responses that came in for Camp Rain. I've talked about these a couple of times in their ad spaces. Here's what Terry Wig from Conestoga Bible Camp said about Camp Rain. It is the best camp software I have seen. Camp Rain listens to our needs and cares about our industry. Camp Rain's fundraising module does improve your efficiency. It gives you unlimited lists to make your job easier and faster to reach out to current and potential donors so you can show your appreciation quickly with donation receipts and acknowledgements that are built right into the system. We want to thank Camp Rain for their sponsorship of Fundraising at Camp, um, and we hope you'll go check them out at camprain.com F-A-C. So, Heather, we're going to talk about a couple of tools of the week. I'll start today. This is a a follow-up on our last episode where we talked about fundraising letters and did an examination of some fundraising letters. And because of that, I want to just reiterate a point that we kind of made before. We had suggested, hey, you could invest $200 into giving $10, $20 donations to see what the communication looks like to give you the ability to collect an amazing binder like Heather has of good, bad, and ugly fundraising communications. Uh, But I would say that you have a number of organizations in your life that you've likely been a part of, whether it was a school, post-secondary school of some kind, some other nonprofit that you've been a part of, or ones that your family belongs to. You can sign up for all of those things to start to collect stuff. You know, make sure you get on your school's mailing list so that they are sending you stuff. This is for educational purposes. I know that a lot of us not having a fundraising hat on have said, you know, it's just more recycling. Uh, in our case, it's just more research. It is another organization that probably makes and spends a lot more money than you do on fundraising that you can allow them to do their your research for you, you know, just accumulate all those things. So I love Heather's little binder of great ideas. I think that that, as I say, good and bad ideas, I think that's an amazing thing to keep something like that. So you have print letters, but just even the ones that are close to you, subscribe to three or four, make sure that they know your current address so you can get some of those things. I will make this hard job of sometimes staring at a blank a cursor blinking on a screen on a, on a on a blank page, make your job a little easier. So Heather, what, what's your tool? My tool is the Donor Bill of Rights, put out by the Association of Fundraising Professionals, our AFP.org. And it is a great resource to say in a screen to look at and say, am I following these protocols? Am I doing what my donors 
want and expect me to do. And as you grow bigger, it may be something that you want to talk about adapting for your program and sharing with your donors as what they can set their expectations at for you. That's great. Nice, easy way to set your own terms of reference for a fundraising project or for your whole fundraising program that you're setting that up. Thank you, Heather. That's a great one. Before we go, I want to take a second and also thank the American Camp Association of Illinois for their support. The American Camp Association of Illinois' work is driven by their passion and aim to make the world a better place. And I know the people at the American Camp Association of Illinois. They are passionate, smart, caring people. They do that by using camp as a tool of transformation. Their accreditation program is known nationally for its distinct peer review experience for their coaching for local camps to become up to standards and become part of that peer review experience and keeps local camps and agencies running safe, quality programs that change lives. To learn more about the accreditation program, including the unlimited benefits of participating, head to acail.org. Heather, thank you for sharing so much. And uh, as always, great stories. Thanks, Travis. Pleasure to be here. Uh, if people have follow-up, how can they get in touch? Uh, they can reach me at heather at jamonville.org, and I'd be happy to answer questions. All right. Thank you. And again, if you go to gocampro slash FAC, you will find the show notes from this episode and uh, all of our past episodes, including the tools of the week. I know that Heather's had a couple of people reach out asking for the giving guide from Jumonville that is posted in our show notes. So if you go back and search for, even search GoCamp Pro for Jumonville, you will see all the places where, the places where you can find that guide and it's free for you to download. And we're grateful for you sharing with us, Heather. Thanks. There's no bill like Jumonville. There you go. Finally got it in there. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, Joe, we miss you. And uh, Heather, I'm so grateful for this. Again, go to gocamp.pro slash FAC uh, to find the show notes for this. If you learned something today, we'd be super grateful if you would share this episode with somebody in camping that you think could use this information or just this show in particular. Uh, it is the best way for us to grow this audience and the best way for us to continue to provide these free resources. Of course, check out our sponsors as well. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Fundraising at Camp is a part of the Go Camp Pro Podcast Network. Find a podcast for camp pros of every age and stage at gocamp.pro slash podcast. Hey, camp pros. We love that our industry is built on sharing. In order to foster that spirit, we hope that whenever you share an idea that you learn from the Camp Hacker podcast, conference, summer camp professionals group, or wherever else, that you're quick to give credit where credit is due. That way, we can all encourage more camp pros to share the tips and tricks that will make camp better.